Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, the first seven verses of the 21st chapter. Let us continue listening now for a word from God. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him, and when Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, Painting Stars at Noon. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, in this time, paint the bright light of your words on our hearts. That indeed the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For whatever reason, I have become intrigued in recent years by the passage of time in many biblical stories. Both the length and the brevity that is sometimes covered in a matter of verses or only a few chapters. Take, for example, Moses. Moses, born to a Hebrew family, raised in Pharaoh's household, As a young man, he murders an Egyptian who he finds in the act of beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses flees into the countryside to a little speck of a town called Midian. For 40 years, Moses stays in Midian. He makes a life for himself. He gets a job. He goes out into the fields and comes home for dinner most nights. He sets some aside for retirement, perhaps, a life that is not unlike ours, for 40 years, until one day he encounters a burning bush that sends him back into Egypt, that sends him through the plagues and through the Red Sea and into 40 more years of wandering in the desert. And when his time finally comes to step into that land that he has been promised for so long, he dies. A day early, a mile short. Or think about Paul. Paul, a righteous man of the Jewish faith, persecuting others in the name of his faith. He has this conversion on the road to Damascus one day, and I think some of us have gotten in the habit of conflating stories where we imagine Paul's conversion basically immediately being followed by his running to the docks and going off on these missionary journeys. In fact, after his conversion, Paul returns to his hometown of Tarsus for 10 years. 
For ten years he teaches and preaches and learns, and only then does he begin these epic early journeys of the Christian faith. Or think about Jesus. Jesus, for 30 years, a person with a life not unlike ours again. I mean, I get he was different, obviously, but for 30 years before being baptized by his cousin and doing ministry for a total of three years before being tried and convicted and executed as a criminal of the state. A short life and, by the measures of time, a rather unremarkable career. The story that keeps fascinating me, though, as I think about the passage of time in the scriptures is that of Abraham and Sarah. Today, we have opened our Bibles to the culmination, in many ways, of their story, to this amazing moment that they have been waiting for and waiting for when God's promise to them is fulfilled. But it's easy to lose sight of the fact that 25 years have passed since the night when God took Abraham out of his tent and turned his eyes skyward and told him to count the stars and promised him that one day his descendants would be as numerous as those. Twenty-five years, though, since that night. Twenty-five years of wandering in the wilderness, of going to Egypt, of having their names changed, 25 years of sunrises and sunsets, wondering when, if ever, that promise, which seemed so absurd to begin with, would come true. There's that amazing scene about halfway through their story where they're in a tent one afternoon when three strangers wander up And they tell Abraham, you will have a son. And Sarah, she laughs. But it's not a funny laugh, it's a scoffing laugh. Come on, so much time, no results. It's not going to happen, is it? But then these verses, these verses that start with the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. 25 years of looking at the stars every night, of wandering and of wondering when God's promise would possibly be fulfilled. It's not all that bad an image for our lives sometimes, is it? Day after day we wake, waiting and wondering, Day after day, the job doesn't come, the house doesn't sell, the addiction doesn't just go away, the heartache, it doesn't ease. Day after day, we wake and the cancer, it's still there, the grief, it's still there, the loneliness, it's still there, the hurt, still there. The preacher preaches week after week love and grace, and yet we have yet to feel a single ounce of it. Day after day, we too yearn to see stars, to believe that these sometimes fantastical-seeming promises of the scriptures are true, but instead, each day the sun rises and the stars fade and the promise seems to slip 
a little further away. These are stories that cause me to ponder time and what we do with it. Ada Owens and I were pondering this week as we considered an appropriate piece of artwork for our bulletin cover. We settled on the near universally recognizable image by Vincent Van Gogh, The Starry Night. Perhaps some of us have seen it in person. I suspect all of us have seen it before. It is considered by most to be one, if not the, masterpiece of his career. Van Gogh, interestingly, never really thought that it was one of his better ones, though. He painted it in 1889, which is a rather significant year in the life of Vincent Van Gogh. It was on the heels of his amputation of his ear and his chronic mental illness that he had been sent to an asylum in Saint-Rémy, France, in the Provence area of that country. He looked each day out his window there in the asylum and saw a scene that inspired this painting. Twenty-one times he drew carefully the rolling hills of that region and the village in the distance that he could see. Interestingly, though, in none of those 21 drawings does he include the bars that were on the window he was looking through. But even more remarkable for me was learning the fact that Vincent van Gogh painted this amazing nocturnal scene from memory during the daytime. He would sit each night looking out his window and he would wake the next day and paint from memory in the light of day this dark landscape. Certain scholars have gone back and astronomers and they have more or less been able to arrive at where the stars would have been in the sky from roughly that angle and that place and that year And they agree that for the most part, the stars that he paints would have been the brightest stars that he would have seen in the sky at that time. From memory, during the daytime. It's not a bad image for the Christian faith, I don't think. The Christian faith, when it comes down to it, I think is a call to paint stars at noon. It is a call to trust, or if we are unable to trust for some time, for some season in our own lives, then to allow others to trust for us that even when we cannot see those stars of God's promises, they are burning nonetheless. The Christian faith is the call to believe that one day God's promises will come true. It is the call to see our lives and the lives of others as if the bars that sometimes contain us in are not there. I learned about an incredible ministry this past week. I was invited by a couple in our church into their home on Thursday night. They had participated as volunteers in this ministry, and they were inviting others in the community to learn about it. It's called, appropriately enough, Blue Skies. It's a ministry run by a pediatric nurse from Atlanta. 
Blue Skies provides retreats for families and children who are facing pediatric cancer. They are retreats that are offered to those families, to the parents, and especially for the children of those who have sick brothers and sisters to come at no cost and to spend a week at the beach. Children are allowed, even encouraged, to just be themselves. More than anything, it is a time for the families, too, to be with others who really know, in a way no one else can know, what it is they are going through. These retreats are staffed by volunteers, both individuals and families. Even children are encouraged to come and volunteer They are the ones who clean the rooms of the guests. They cook their meals. They play and they fellowship with the families. But more than anything, their role is to pour out love on these children and on their families. She wasn't there really to ask for money. We're used to that. Although she did say if you want to write a check, she would take it. What she was really there asking for was people who would give their time. It is a ministry that depends on people who are willing to come and give a week of their lives to step into this season of waiting, of wondering, of very real hurting for many of these families and to proclaim with their presence, you are not alone. You are loved. As I listened to her, it occurred to me that what she was really asking for was people who would come and paint the stars in the daytime of someone's life. The ancient Greeks had two words for time. One was this kind of time, chronos, time that makes up our days and our hours and our weeks and our months, time that ticks by sequential, chronological time. The other word, though, was kairos. Kairos, translated from the Quinonia Greek, comes roughly to mean right or critical or opportune time. Kairos appears 84 times in the New Testament when you go back to the New Testament in its original language. That's about 30 times more than Kronos appears. Every time the word kairos is used in the New Testament, it is referring to a moment when God acts. Kairos refers to a moment when God acts. I really like that. It makes me think that perhaps what we are doing when we take the time to paint stars in the middle of the day, we are living in kairos time. Though we cannot make God act, we are nonetheless using our time to show others that God does act. That God will act. That God's promises will be fulfilled. Or in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., we are using our time to show others that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it is always bent towards justice and towards love. When we are people who view our time through the lens of Kairos time, we are people who are going about our days seeking to give others a glimpse of eternity, 
seeking to give others a glimpse of God's kingdom here on earth. It was an amazing thing at that event. There was a family there from our own community who had gone to Blue Skies retreats twice as participants, and this last summer they returned as volunteers. And the way they described those retreats was that it was the kingdom of God there on earth. It didn't take away the suffering. It didn't take away the pain or the worry. But for a moment, the space between heaven and earth grew thin. When we live in Kairos time, we are announcing that just as the Lord was gracious to Sarah, the Lord is gracious to us as well. Just as the Lord did for Sarah against all odds what he had promised, God will do just that for us as well. It's very fitting that on a, today, on a day when we talk about time and about God's promises, we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. Baptism really is an outward sign of God's promise. That though we forget the story, that though little Briggs doesn't know the story yet, God still loves him and claims him even now. It's appropriate, too, that in the Presbyterian tradition, we, the congregation, we answer questions. We make promises to the baptized. Here again, the promises you made this morning... When you said, I do, you promised to tell Briggs the good news of the gospel, to help him to learn all that Christ commands, to love and pray for him. You promised to strengthen his family ties with the household of God. You promised, in other words, to give your time, to rock him in the nursery and to cook him dinner in youth group. You promise to serve alongside him when he's old enough, perhaps at Mana House or packing hunger action team boxes. You promise to remind Briggs that when he messes up, though we know that will be a long time from now, that the waters of baptism are for him also. And in those waters, we are reminded of God's forgiveness. We promise to tell Briggs the stories of the faith, of starry nights, of long days full of waiting and wondering, of hardships endured, but most of all of promises kept. And when inevitably Briggs encounters stretches of waiting and wondering and challenge in his own life, we promise to be the ones who will paint the stars in the sky, the stars of God's love that fill the blue skies above him, even when he or us cannot see them. So friends, if Kronos time reminds us that our time is finite, then Kairos time tells us that the time is now. The time to slow down is now. To listen to the whispers within the time to pour out God's love, the time to plant God's kingdom, the time to help others glimpse eternity, the time to paint the night sky even in the bright of day. The time is now. So go and give it.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.